What's going on, everyone? We are back here with episode two of 217 Cast here with Mac and Miles. Welcome back, guys. Um, we have a, a fun topic in this for this episode. We are planning about talking about some companies that failed and uh, why they failed and how their branding could have looked a little bit different and how they could have um, really made a successful impact if they would have just changed what they were doing and how they operated a little bit. Yeah, I think it's interesting to keep an eye on how companies adapt and change. The companies that have been around for so many years, some are very consistent in their brands and some change You know, every five, ten years to stay relevant. Um, but the ones that fail are those ones that have inconsistencies in what do they want to do, where do they want to go. Right. Yeah, and, um, and they, they just stop looking forward and they think that what they have is the best and they're just going to keep on like going with that just kind of uh the first one we're going to talk about is blockbuster Mm -hmm. and so you know they definitely failed to change their uh, business model and they strictly stayed to dvd and and vhs or whatever else there was and which was a booming i mean it was booming for yeah 30 40 years right when the first vhs came out especially like i mean think about when when their business model first came out it was pretty revolutionary that you could go rent this and then take it back and not have to actually worry about storing it or pay the high price of buying it for yourself. And so, you know, it was a really great business model, but along with the internet, I mean, Netflix came around and they actually had an opportunity to buy out Netflix and they didn't take that, uh, which at the time it probably seemed like a bit of a risk to them, but it probably seemed like a huge risk. Yeah. What is this technology thing? What is this streaming over TV? What is this mailing things? We don't know if we're going to get, these DVDs back, right? right? At least in a physical store, you can kind of keep track of who comes in the store, what do they use to pay with, what's their address, which most video stores, you know, did back in the day, but just a Netflix, mail it to you, and now I have no idea exactly where this is. It's, I wouldn't have invested in it, honestly. Right. Think, thinking back on it, the way the, the VHS and DVD market was, I would have never invested in Netflix. Well, it's a risky move for sure as well because, I mean, you're taking your whole revolutionary business model of renting DVDs yep. and having people come in a store and get them and you're kind of throwing it out the window and just letting people like they don't they no longer have to come to your stores there's so, no rules yeah there's no rules and there's no there's no reason to have the stores then so now you know you're shutting down your old business model to start up a new one kind of from scratch because you know when they had the opportunity to buy Netflix it was a pretty small company yep and so yeah it's definitely a, a risky move but if they would have taken it they still could have been Blockbuster. Could have been Blockbuster instead of, instead of Netflix. Exactly. And so, you know, taking that taking that step and and taking on a lot of risk is definitely scary. But if you can look five, ten years in the future of, and kind of see where culture is going, you know, it could be it could turn out to be a really big win. Right. And and the company that I really, you know, have always studied and looked at is Kodak, right? The same thing. Mm-hmm. They are the premier, premier photo film company for 30 40 50 60 70 years right and then they create this digital camera and realize man this could totally cannibalize our other business which has been successful for Mm -hmm. so many years and you scrap the digital camera and then it goes on to just tank your entire company yeah and so like instead of completely switching your business model to something else you know they fail and Nobody really even knows who they are or what they really do. Right, and and, <laughs> and it's it's crazy that that um, just so many. I, I don't know. Imagine being in a boardroom though, and someone coming to you with that idea. Right, you almost have to think that they're crazy. 
Yeah. Like you, like I'm in the blockbuster Netflix deal. You have to sit there as blockbuster and be like, "There's no way that this is ever going to pick up steam." Right. Like steam. Exactly. I mean, yeah, especially probably back then. You know, the internet is not nearly as big as it is today. I mean, that, that's pretty much where all of our lives happen. And and sitting there and thinking, well, I mean, there's like this website that people will go to and they'll do what they do in our store. Right. Why would they? Why would they go to the internet to do that? There's all these stores, you know, and so it's, yeah. During during that time, it wouldn't have made much sense. But you know, like I said, looking five, ten years in the future and seeing where the culture is going, and and to see where you're going, you have to look and see where you came from. So right. turn around, and saying, oh, you know what? Hold up, ten minutes or ten years ago, we weren't using computers. We didn't. I mean, those were reserved for the for research, and they took up huge buildings, but now they're not nearly as big. They can sit on a desk. They're getting smaller. We're using them more. They weren't seen as leisure tools like they are right. nowadays. Right. Exactly. And so, you know, if you look 10, 10 years in the past to where you are now, you can kind of predict the future on where you're going to go. Yep. And so if, and that's the hard part because you don't want to take that risk and you don't want to add a new element to your business or you don't want to, you know, completely scrap what you're doing now. But if it makes sense from where you came from to where you're going, I think it's it's the best move, and it, it'll make a lot of people wealthy. So, do you think that 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 strategy and having that foresight comes from a visionary leader? Does it come from having just people in your corner that are very have very unique and diverse backgrounds? Like, where do you think being able to say, you know, man, I if we invested in that, we would have been huge. Like, where do you think that foresight comes from? Um, I think a lot of it would come from uh, honestly not having like stakeholders mm. or having shareholders, um, in your company, which, you know, for public companies, you have to answer to these boards, you have to answer to the shareholders and you have to answer to all these people. So when you make a move that doesn't make a lot of sense for the company and you go to the quarterly meeting and your earnings are down, it, you know, they're going to, you're going to get a lot of pushback, a lot of questions, which can, you know, lead to people selling off your stock, lots of sell off leads to, you know, the value of your business going down quite a bit. So I think one thing is, um, that would help is not having to answer to people. Mm. That comes with, I feel like that comes with another unique set of challenges though too, right? Not yeah. having a key stakeholder that you work for and try to adapt to and innovate for, right? And right. Someone calling the shots from behind the scenes. It's, that's interesting. I never, I didn't think about that. Well, and, and with that, you know, if you don't have, share if you're not a public company or or you don't have investors you know your, your company might not be as big it might not be able to take those big risks as you don't have the capital so if you're wanting to be a large company that is willing to take risks you have to have an investor who will back those risks as well so yeah i guess and that just comes with with wrapping your idea up with a bow and giving it to an investor and saying, here's my grandiose idea. Right. Here's what I want to do with it. But here's really where we are in, in our process. Help us get to where we want to get to. Yeah. I think it's just being open and upfront with your with your business, your team, and kind of the motto you have going. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, as I've read a lot of books and done a lot of research, I found that a lot of people believe in the fact that you should invest in people, not a business. Mm-hmm. And so you're investing in the leaders within the company. And so finding an investor who also believes what you believe and that like innovation is the and and taking risks is the way to move forward faster you know you're going to find you're going to be able to find somebody who is is willing to back that and willing to give their knowledge and willing to help guide you when you do take those kinds of risks yeah 
I mean, totally. I, I 100% agree with that. So what strategies bring to the table today to talk about innovating um, while failing? Yeah, so let me pull those up. Um, let's see. Here they are. So the first one that I want to talk about was um, how adopting new platforms can help keep uh, you from failing behind or falling behind. Okay. Um, so obviously, like, we're moving into it. Like, we were talking about a new platform is technology. Like for Blockbuster, that was that would have been a new platform for them, um, and as well as like Borders Bookstore going online. You know they are online now, but finally after Amazon has kind of taken a lot of their market share. Um, so I think like that's like adopting new platforms to market on as well is super important. Mm. Yeah, I mean with the, these new platforms though. Again, it goes back to that foresight conversation from earlier. It's how do we how do you, with your company, which for most of CEOs who have built their own company or whoever, whomever it may be in the, in the company, right? That is your baby. That's your brainchild, right? right. So having the courage to step out and say, mm, let's try this. It's got to be one of the scariest positions and yeah. one of the most vulnerable positions you can find yourself in. Yeah. I think um, you got to test small and that way that you can do it very quickly. Mm. And so instead of taking half of your company and and saying, hey, you guys work on this over here while we keep doing doing what we're doing. Take a very small population of people. Maybe if your company is a smaller company, maybe it's just one person to try something out. And you work on that, and then you say, hey, okay, this is profitable. Let's put two or three more people on it. And you you kind of move that, and you shift over. Um, And in advertising, it's the same exact thing. Maybe you're doing a lot of billboards or you're doing a lot of newspaper or radio, and you want to try out Facebook well, with Facebook, you can get into Facebook advertising for as little as five dollars a day, and that's the beautiful thing about it. And so, maybe you don't you take that hundred and fifty dollars a month, and you take that out of your pocket, you take that out of your profit or whatever, and you try it out, and you say, "Oh, wow, we actually got several leads that worked for us." Or mm. you say, "It didn't." But let's keep on looking around. Maybe we'll try LinkedIn because we're B two B or something like that, um, and just taking minor risks. So. so just starting small and being scalable is yeah. the easiest way to test exactly. and ideate and try yeah. these new things. For sure. What I what did you bring? So what I brought to the idea um, kind of piggybacks off yours almost. Um, I didn't even realize it, but it's being diversified in your strategy. Mm. So when you yeah. are a company, whatever company it may be, when you have to respond to a challenge, are you going to do it on TV? Are you going to have a spokesperson come out and really make a, make a, a press PR call? Or are you going to respond to it? on social media, which is what we've seen so many companies have to turn to nowadays, right? That is the right. primary well, Facebook post, a Twitter response to, to you know a customer, right? Because a lot of companies nowadays, they get praise on Twitter, but also a lot of their dirty laundry gets aired on Twitter, right? Yeah, so you sure. have to be quick to respond, put these fires out. Mm-hmm. Um, and being diversified, right? You can keep all of, if let's say you're just like a Delta Air, Airlines, right? Your commercials are gonna look the same. Come travel with us, we're the lap of luxury. You're gonna love flying with Delta. right? But, you know, your Twitter is going to have to be responding to, hey, I missed my flight because we didn't get out of the gate Mm. in time. So you have to be able to understand as a brand the different places you serve and the people you serve Mm -hmm. and keeping your customers first and in front of mind. Right. That's how you keep innovating and keep trying new things is listening to them. What do they need from you Um, as a brand? Is it to be? you know, the fastest? Is it to be the cheapest, right? You have to understand what they want from you and respond to it and really figure out, can you play in that space they need you in? Yeah. So you're saying like 
um, with the diversification comes better customer service because you can move quicker. You can move quicker. Um, how would you recommend like a large company um, that, you know, has a, like when they move into a new platform and, or when they diversify, it takes, they have to move a lot of weight. How do you recommend that they move quicker? I think you have to be to be willing to go through some lumps, but to understand that on the other side of moving fast is a very stable and controlled space to where you understand what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So if you're on the digital team for whatever company, right, you know most of your things you're handling are going to be digital, B2B over like a medium communication, right? Yeah. Whereas unless you're a tech person or a salesperson, you're making those phone calls, talking to customers. You have to be able to just understand that the way you're moving is going to be tough, but you're listening to your consumers and ultimately they're who's there's, they are who are calling for it, the, the change. Right. Yeah, for sure. I think it's super important to know where your consumers are and how you can reach them best. Um, and obviously with technology, we're going to be able to reach them a lot quicker. Uh, like you said, if somebody tweets at Delta and says, hey, I missed a flight, you guys can make that right right very then. fast and, and no one sees it but right. they know that interaction with the brand superseded them missing the flight right they know yeah they got back to me in five minutes got me on a new flight got me rerouted or you know maybe i did miss it and now you know they, they comp me a hotel right and and by doing that you're gonna have a huge advocate for your company a huge advocate and now you just have again another positive interaction um with people who who um love what you do right yeah. they wouldn't have flown with you in the first place they didn't like what you did for sure for sure um something else that i wanted to talk about was uh how micro influencers can help brands get in front of more audiences for the same cost okay so a micro influencer is somebody that's going to have like less than ten thousand followers mm-hmm. on a platform um and then you have your celebrity influencers like the kardashians who have millions and millions of followers well think about you know it's like a it's like a shotgun versus a rifle. Um, with a shotgun, you're gonna have a shell that has a lot of little beads inside, and when you shoot it, it's gonna spread. Mm-hmm. And versus the rifle, it's gonna have you're gonna hit a direct target every time. And so when you are using these micro influencers, you're able to test different audiences for your brand. Mm. So maybe you know that your product works well for, we'll say, women between the ages of 18 and 25, and so you're using micro influencers that you know, that's who they follow. That that demographic is follows this micro influencer. But then you think, hmm, I wonder if this product would work for moms. And so then you're able to find a micro influencer and try it out, you know, through them, try your advertising through them, their your branding through them. Um, and you're gonna be able to save money. You don't have to fork out a lot of money all at once. And so I think it's super important. It's it's kind of another way to way to diversify. Yeah. You're not putting all your eggs in one basket you're spreading your eggs out you know throughout the technological platforms so as a as a let's say i have a a small startup right how do i go about finding a micro influencer so you're going to be able to um, use a lot of online tools um the one that is free and easy to use is flanks it's p-h-l-a-n-x and you'll be able to go on there and kind of gauge um and this is for instagram you'll be able to gauge uh you know the micro influencers engagement rate and so this is that's basically like how many comments and likes they're getting per post for the amount of followers they have and then something that's super important to do is go through their profile and click on their followers and scroll through and make sure that 
the usernames aren't just like a bunch of letters and numbers right. and they actually have profile pictures and they are real people. From there, the next step is to go to their posts and go through about five to 10 posts, click on the likes, do the same thing. Same thing. Make sure that people are actually commenting. And then finally go to the comments and make sure that you are getting, like they're commenting actual comments, not like, oh, hot or, you know, cool. Just like one word of comments or even just emojis. Make sure that these comments are like real people actually engaging with the with mm-hmm. the micro influencer so they might you know if they post something with her dog it might say something like oh cute dog what kind is he or or i love you know the type of dog i love that type of dog or whatever just keeping a lookout for bots and fake profiles yes, and all exactly that kind of stuff. okay because a lot of people do buy likes buy followers they buy comments and, of course and then once they do that they're able to sell and make money and you know they're able to profit i mean it's it's a business basically when they really don't even have that large of a following or exactly. following at all right it's Wow, it's crazy. Flanks, P-H-L-A-N-X? Yes, P-H-L-A-N-X. Cool. Something, learn something new every day. Well, and just search, you know, around for different engagement calculators, whether it's uh, Instagram, YouTube, or TikTok, or Facebook even. Cool. And then the the last one that I I thought about is something that, you know, I kind of hit on earlier um, in the podcast, but just how being slow to change to societal pressures can, Mm -hmm. can just totally... Leave a, leave a company in the dust and how not understanding, again, going back to that, that core audience, who really is it that you service and work for, right. um, can leave a company just without its core base. And once you get without a core base, you know, you just you fall apart. Um, but it's, it's interesting that so many companies nowadays are almost playing in the the, the social space, right? The right. In, in the in the societies and dealing with societal pressures to mm. respond to things. You know, I think back to the to the Pepsi ad, right? With with, with um, Kendall with Kendall Jenner and how it just caused so much, you know, tension between different sides. But they were yeah. thought they were doing something and ended up doing something totally different. So how society forces companies to act to not just you know the the customers, how they have to respond and be socially aware of what they do. Yeah, it's definitely a fine line, especially for companies that are wanting to make um, more political-based statements. Right. It's You have to be very careful with that because, you know, if it goes the wrong way and you're going to lose half your customer base, you might have just been better off just putting out an ad for, <laughs> Not hey, saying anything. we got good Pepsi. <laughs> like, you should drink it instead of yep. actually trying to, you know, make some make sort a statement. of statement. Yeah, make some sort of statement and not, you know, directly targeting Pepsi, but... You know, there's a lot of other companies out there that have tried to make political statements and it backfire big time. Mm-hmm. And you just have, you know, and and on the flip side, there's a lot of companies that are doing a lot of good. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of uh, clothing companies go from super skinny models to including everybody yep. because, you know, it's it's the reality of it is there there are all different body shapes and and, you know, heights and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yep. And it's it's important to include everybody when you're when you are thinking about your advertising and the but. sustainability aspect too along with the clothing i mean so many mm-hmm. brands have switched to fully sustainable clothes yep, recycled clothes sure. donating charitable amounts of money from what you buy in their stores to help and fund you know different things that they're really involved with and, and passionate about so again that's like you said a positive positive mm-hmm. side of it is responding to society what do they want from you how can you achieve that while also still making a profit, just being conscious while you're doing yeah. a capitalist business and living in a capitalist society? For sure. And and I think that's like like we had talked about, you're able to engage with your customers really quickly and figure out what they like. That's the one big benefit of social media is 
you can put out polls, you can put out all kinds of different stuff and, and really figure out who your customer base is. You can really narrow down and figure out what that niche audience is. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, as more com- as we get deeper and deeper into more of a, you know, social media era, um, companies will use that to really niche down and, and maybe run different ads to dim- different demographics. I know a lot of companies already are do- doing that and it's, I mean, you can't go wrong, especially when you have that opportunity to directly target, you know, men between 40 and 60 versus women between 18 and 25. That Those advertisements should and should feel different. Yeah, they should, should feel different. different. They should look different. You know, the, those two dem- demographics don't want the same product for the same reasons. <laughs> right. So how do you, how do you, I, I, I guess determine where your brunt, the brunt of your spend should go is it what's driving the most sales is it what has the most influence on social media like how do you determine yeah. um, where, where to put your marketing dollars that's definitely tricky and it comes with a lot of testing in my opinion um i think like we had talked about taking those small risks and trying things out and then when they work double down on them and when they don't get rid of them completely mm-hmm. and move on then just be willing to say you know i failed that was a mess up and, and move on quickly and try something else. Don't, you know, it hap- you know, don't let it happen once where you mess up and, and an advertisement doesn't work. And then you're like, uh, I don't know if I'm going to try it. Just, yeah, go try it. You're not, I mean, I think there should be a certain amount of money in your advertising spend that is like tester or Test testing money, money. R&D yeah, money, yeah, something yeah. like that. It's, it's to figure out what's working because you might, like I said, you might not know if your product fits well for you know the demographic of moms but you already know it's doing well in 18 20 25 or whatever i said keep spending your money on that 18 to 25 but then have a little bit maybe five or ten percent of your marketing spend go to a different demographic and try that out just test and be able to to adapt quick and like you said fail fast and keep moving be being okay with scrapping an idea that you thought might have yielded big dividends when it doesn't right and yeah i mean it I definitely think that ego plays in that a lot mm. when you when you're expecting something to happen and it doesn't it's hard to say well you know I messed up team and we shouldn't have done <laughs> that true. but what are, what are you guys' thoughts on trying this and your team might say oh well you got the last one wrong and we have this idea and you have to be super humble and say you know what you're right I messed up last time so let's try your way and if it doesn't work then we'll you know we just keep, keep going. going back and forth but yeah, we keep, allotting a piece of the budget to just trying stuff yeah, exactly, and be willing to kind of lose that amount of money. It'd be interesting to see a lot of the companies that are out nowadays, how much they really, like I would love to ask Elon Musk, how much money do you guys use at Tesla or SpaceX to just try stuff, to yeah. just explore oh, what I'm, could possibly be I'm sure be there done. it's more than you could even imagine at those two companies. But, you know, because, I mean, he is a an entrepreneur at heart, yes. risky. I mean, he he. I mean, he's risky. He's a $200 flamethrower. So. Yeah, well, and he's risky with everything, yeah. whether it's his companies or the things he, that he says on Twitter. Um, but, you know, seeing, you know, a company like maybe P&G, like a bigger, or GE even, these really big, kind of safer companies, um, I'd, I'd be curious to see how much they actually are, have, like a how much of their budget is kind of, quote unquote, reckless money. Mm. Reckless money, I love that term. I think that that could be a whole episode on itself yeah that'd be an interesting to dive into that it's um 
yeah I, there's there's so much out there that if you just like you said put the allotment to it you could figure out about your company and about probably your industry too the way yeah. your industry runs the way you could be more efficient in it the way you could gain more market share by just trying new things yeah i mean and and that's where innovation comes from mm-hmm. when a industry is flipped on its head it's because somebody came in and innovated and if you're not going to be innovating in your space then Someone else is. Yeah, someone else <laughs> someone is. Someone else and, is already doing and you're it. Get, your company's going to get flipped on its head. So you have to be the one who is innovating. It's interesting. It's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's amazing to think that all, and especially in this age of disruption too, I'm interested to see the only industry that really hasn't been disrupted in this whole disruption sort of the past, disruption decade, this past 10 years, right, is construction. I want to see what the first crazy construction disruptive tech company or software yeah. company does and how it just changes the way construction operates. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, I'm sure there's definitely stuff that has changed and, and they're slowly getting better. But, yeah. I mean, you got to think like these software companies are going crazy. But, yeah, construction has been pretty steady. Steady the whole time. I mean, and and don't get us wrong. We know that, like, architecture is always being like super innovative and, like these buildings that are being built like these 3d like these, models and yeah and these ones in new right. york like some of these shouldn't even be standing <laughs> by like the laws of physics but right. they are and and that's around the world but like the construction industry that actually builds the buildings and and takes a year or two to construct a building i mean think about how much a company could make if they were able to cut that process time down to nine months mm-hmm. i mean they would be like the best of the best and Nine they months, get safer, all the contracts. Yeah, safer, sustainable, oh, and for more sure. efficient. It'd be unbelievable. I mean, you'd steal all of the money. Yeah, and one problem with a lot of the construction industry is that they're not using fair labor, mm. and so if you're able to cut down costs on, you know, whether it's machines or supplies, so that you could use fair labor and still make that profit, it it would definitely flip flip the construction industry on its head. Somebody do it. Somebody out there listening, go out there and make a crazy software that just yeah. flips construction on but its head. We want a 10% cut of it. That is the truth. We would <laughs> love a 10% cut of your $150 billion idea. Yes, I agree. <laughs> well, guys, that's going to wrap up the episode for this week, and we look forward to t- chatting with you next week. We look forward, guys. Everyone stay safe out there and wash your hands. Be good. Yes, please wash your hands.